Welcome to the 2SER Book Club, where every week we open up a new book and help you discover something to read, no matter what your taste. Here's Andrew and Tess. Morning, Andrew. Hey, morning, Tess. How are you? I'm great. I uh, I hear you've got a bit of a surprise for me this morning. Well, I do. I do. I don't know if you remember last week, though, uh, we were talking about YA. Yes. Yeah, I think you, you, I can see in your eyes you know where this is going. I'm so and ready. You mentioned you mentioned uh, sort of an early love of Nancy Drew books. I do, yes. Mm-hmm. So I also, I read a bit of Nancy Drew along with uh, the Hardy Boys and pretty much anything I could get my hands on when I was a kid. Um, and so I was like, okay, we, we, we want to know more about this. And, and looking into the seemingly inexhaustible series of, <laughs> of girl detective novels, I found one glaring question that kept coming up for me. Who is Nancy Drew? And and which Nancy Drew did you actually read? Do you know? Um, I I didn't realise there were multiple Nancy Drews. There there are well, there are sort of multiple Nancy Drews. Let me let me tell you a little bit about this. So Nancy Drew is best known as an unassuming, always ready teen detective from <laughs> River Heights. Her father, Carson Drew, is a crime fighting lawyer, and her asexual boyfriend is Ned <laughs> Nickerson. Yes. Yep, he sounds like sounds like he should either be a horse or a really lame villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Kind of does, yeah. Ned yeah, Nickerson. That that um, yeah. So it's got like a lit, it's sort of alliteration and assonance. Um, so she's the star of hundreds of novels, like hundreds, as well as several screen adaptations. Um, she's also been around for close to a hundred years, and uh, and has gone through numerous iterations. So right now it might sound like Nancy Drew is one of the undead and we need to call in (laughs) one of the various iterations of Buffy to slay her. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) the team up we didn't know we needed until now. Nancy and Buffy. This needs to happen. Mm. So in fact, um, in fact, Nancy is is the product of an extremely successful, if uh, potentially highly exploitative, publishing syndicate that was able to turn the methods of mass production to teen literature. Okay. Yeah. So Nancy Drew, along with her male teen counterparts, the Hardy Boys, were the brainchild of the publishing empire of Edward Stratemeyer. So Stratemeyer was actually born in 1862. Whoa. Yeah, we're going way back here. (laughs) Stratemeyer grew his empire um, through the early decades, uh, through decades of the early 20th century, using this shrewd understanding of what children want and how to market it to their tiny allowances. Oh, my gosh. So this is just a, a capitalistic oh, yeah. grab. So he um, he took over uh, sort of a publishing empire and created his own, the Stratemeyer Publishing Syndicate. And there were, there were many, many series. So in the, early, in the early 20th century, the Stratemeyer Syndicate, they capitalized on this confluence of events, including the increase in childhood literacy, so kids actually learning to read and adults reading, the popularizing of assembly line techniques, so think, you know, kind of what Henry Ford's doing, and also this growing appetite for entertaining distraction. And he set up multiple series aimed at younger readers for sort of 10 to 50 cents a pop, uh, and they're all penned by teams of writers under a pseudonym. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So there's multiple multiple authors happening under well, so, one name. So at the moment we've got multiple series. Yeah. Um, they they have names like the Motor Boys and like <laughs> just just think of a so slightly exciting adjective and add it to to boys. And I think there were some girls. The girls had slightly more domestic kind of stuff going on in their titles. Unsurprised. 
Stratemeyer, so he knew what the public wanted and he created characters that would resonate sort of with their ideal lives. In my research, I read about how the um, when the Scouting, uh, Scouting America were founded, uh, they actually complained about Stratemeyer created a series of scout books. Um, the Scouting Federation, they complained because boys no longer wanted to do boring scout stuff because the scouting books were so much more exciting. <laughs> Yeah. That's amazing. And he created, yeah, he created these every person type characters, um, at least if you were white and middle class. Of course, of yeah. course. And so he employed marketing and the sort of cross-promoting techniques that would do Amazon proud. <laughs> so he, he's been doing this for a few decades and he's seeking titles for a slightly older audience. So Stratemeyer launched The Hardy Boys in 1926 and the first Nancy Drew books followed in 1930. They were written under the pen name Carolyn Keene. That would be the author that you would know. That's That was what I was assuming, yes. Yep, Carolyn Keene. So these books were incredibly popular uh, and at the time, and they overturned the maxim that, uh, that girls would happily read boys' books, but they didn't actually need books for themselves. Of course not. I, I think that I'm pretty sure from what I read, Nancy Drew was outselling the Hardy Boys. Oh, wow. Mm. Women and their reading. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is, is incredibly narrow-minded if you look at the history of the novel and reading, but that's maybe another <laughs> conversation. So the original writer of Nancy Drew was Mildred Wirt. Mildred? No, not Carolyn. No. Oh, well, that was a, that Mildred, was a... Mildred Wirt was Carolyn Keene. Oh, that was a pen name. Yeah. So she oh. wrote something She wrote something like 23 of the first 30 Nancy Drew books. Oh, okay. But, but there were many more to come over the years. And much like the comic book industry to come, if you know anything about comic books in that sort of golden age... The Stratemeyer Syndicate knew how to screw over its bullpen of writers. So while they were, you know, really forging ahead, many of the writers were kind of struggling to make ends meet. Um, So since its beginnings in the interwar years, Nancy Drew, she's actually had many updates. In the 50s and 60s, after Edward Stratemeyer had died, his daughters took over. The series was edited for brevity, so they cut it down a little bit. Cleansed of some of its more racialized vocabulary. Fair, fair point, Mm. yes. The series was also updated to the Nancy Drew Files in 1986. Uh, Nancy now had much greater depth, darker stories, and her relationship with Ned Nickerson was more like two human beings actually interacting. <laughs> Less robotic. <laughs> the series was again rebooted in 2005 as Nancy Drew, Girl Detective. I feel like I remember this one too, yeah. Okay, well, see, I, I, I wondered if that might have been the one you read because uh, everything everything in my research indicated that this was the inferior of all the iterations. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the basic concept was formulaic with this consistent plotting and even format, like same number of chapters, basically same number of pages. Nancy Drew lived in River Heights. Her boyfriend was Ned Nickerson. They had sunny white bread relationship and uh, they were not particularly troubled by diversity. Each book saw a mystery emerge that was solved by hard work, a bump on the head that never seemed to cause concussion, and a whole lot of lucky coincidence. <laughs> Love a good formula. Stick to what works. Mm, and that was it. They, that was what they did. It was just different, different faces and slightly problematic villains when we look back on them now. So across the years and her many faces, so Nancy actually went, uh, went red somewhere in her oh. middle life. After, uh, supposedly, from what I read, it was it was a printer accident uh, and the cover was printed with Nancy with red hair. So she's got red hair now. Okay. Or I think it was uh, described as Titian-haired. Oh, for, of course. Because you, you think Nancy Drew, you think Renaissance art. Um, so she continues, she continues as a publishing powerhouse uh, that despite her extremely American origins has managed to speak to even you and I down here in the Antipodes. 
Her publishing history um, means that her her beloved author, Carolyn Keane, along with the Hardy Boys author, Franklin W. Dixon, it's actually just a slew of writers, many of whom likely did not see much from Nancy's success. What? Mm. Nancy's also uh, kind of a troubling feminist icon. Her freedom and independence offer one vision of equality for the 1930s. Uh, And through the the war years, you can kind of see how she might have inspired the minds of some young girls to dream if you looked like Nancy and you came from that sort of background. Her white suburban privilege, however, firmly situates her freedom as the domain of this kind of dominant culture status. And it does nothing for a world, thinking as we move through the 20th century, nothing for a world that's coming to understand that intersectionality was never a choice, but actually an inevitability. Uh, The same problems can be said for the Hardy Boys, except their privilege is underscored by masculinity. Uh, It's especially problematic when we find the first book of their grittier, so the Hardy Boys case files was like a reboot in the 80s. In their first episode, uh, Joe's girlfriend is like immediately killed. What? Yeah, so they're signalling this darker image, but they are also just killing long-standing female characters. So... mm, it's just, we don't need you anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't have just moved away. She had to die. Pretty much, yeah. Although, again, again, in my reading, I never, I never read all of these books. Apparently, there now exists sort of parallel universes, one where she's alive <laughs> and one where she's dead. <laughs> of course. Mm. So, look, that's, that's Nancy Drew. That's the Hardy Boys. And I'm not going to back away from my early reading of these books. What's the point? They were, I've read them. They were a part of my developing understanding of, of literature and storytelling. I am glad, however, that there is a wealth of books for all readers that represent a better understanding of the world. They may not yet have the, you know, sort of decades and hundreds of titles success that the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew commanded, but they're there. And I'm also glad that I've had the opportunity to explore the reasons why Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys were, they were extremely narrow representations of a time and a place. And I've had the chance to discover a little bit more of the history that they occupied. It's, um, yeah... I'm mind blown. I'm just, I'm just, I don't even have a witty comment right now. I'm just sitting here mind blown. That's Nancy Drew. Good times. Yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. It makes you appreciate even things like, I mean, the same criticisms that were kind of leveled on the Harry Potter books as they were coming out were leveled against the Hardy Boys. You know, the ideas that children were eating something frivolous and then other people were like, no, but at least they're reading. Mm. Um, but you can see the depth that is brought to a series like, like Harry Potter, where children are able to confront actual issues in their life. Um, the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, they were never really designed to do that. They were pumping out a book a month at one point. Whoa. Yeah. With the with the multiple writers. With the multiple writers, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> we had a was... moment there where I was like, what? Yeah. And no, it's um, it's extraordinary to think of. So um, so that is I've they are, I've exploded Nancy Drew for you. I my my mind's just all over the walls right now. Um, well, so something for you to do for your your late morning afternoon. Uh, just Google it. Look on YouTube for there. I, I started to watch um there was a sort of series produced. I think it's the nineties or maybe two thousands. It's it's super like clueless but weirder. <laughs> that is on my list. That is exactly what I'm doing as mm. soon as I get home. Oh my gosh. You've been listening to the 2SER Book Club. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Tess Connery and Andrew Popel. And a big shout out to Michaela Savage for graphic design and artwork. 
If you're enjoying the book club, why not subscribe and get new episodes delivered straight to your phone every week? If you want more books, you can tune into Final Draft or subscribe to Final Draft Great Conversations Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up with everything happening at the station and discover more stories, ideas and music, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at 2SER.